you know, diabetes literally affects the person, okay, from head to toe. Okay, there is no organ system that is spared, okay, uh, the ravages of diabetes from depression, okay, and stroke to a diabetic foot infection or altered sensation or pain perhaps in the feet and everything in between. So, so I, I hope that gives the listener a sense okay, of, of what happens to these, these patients who develop pain associated with their diabetes. Welcome to the Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show, where quality measurement leads to better patient outcomes. This show will be your go-to source for all things related to quality improvement and medication use in healthcare. We will hit on trending health topics as they relate to performance measurements and find common ground for payers and practitioners. We will discuss how the Equip platform can help you with your performance goals. We will also make sure to keep you up to date on pharmacy quality news. Please note that the topics discussed are based on the information available at the date and time of reporting. Information or guidelines are updated periodically, and we will always recommend that our listeners research and review any guidelines that are newly published. Buckle up and put your thinking cap on. The Quality Corner Show starts now. Hello, Quality Corner Show listeners. Welcome back to the PQS podcast, where we focus on medication use, quality improvement, and how we can utilize pharmacists to improve patient health outcomes. I'm your host, Nick Dorich, and on today's show, we are continuing our series on diabetes, the impact that has on patients, and how pharmacists can be utilized to improve the care management for those patients. Now, for many, diabetes management is about controlling blood sugar, and it can be related to medication use that manages the aspect of the body, appropriate insulin levels, and or lifestyle modifications. However, there is another aspect of diabetes management that will be a focus for today's episode, and this relates to pain management for patients with diabetes. With that, I'm going to now introduce our guest for today's episode, as he is an expert in both diabetes and pain management, making him a great guest for today's show. Dr. Charlie Ponte is a professor of clinical pharmacy and family medicine at West Virginia University in Morgantown, West Virginia. Charlie, welcome to the PQS Quality Corner Show. Yeah, hello, Nick. It's good to be here. Well, happy to have you here. And before we get into our conversation for today about diabetes and managing pain, uh, we need to know a little bit about you. So, Charlie, do you mind giving us a little bit of information about your background in pharmacy and in healthcare and what you do today? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I wish I could say that uh, I had started in a 50,000-watt radio station, but I can't, uh, even though this is a podcast. But, you know, let me... Um, let me say that I originally, you know, I'm from Connecticut and I have a pharmacy degree from the University of Connecticut and also a doctor of pharmacy degree from the University of Utah and a hospital pharmacy residency at Yale New Haven Hospital in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, I have board certification in pharmacotherapy, uh, advanced diabetes management. I'm also certified in pain education and also in 
uh, diabetes care and uh, education as well. So most of my career, frankly, has focused on pharmacy education, the training of medical residents and medical students uh, in family medicine, and, and also really the provision of pharmaceutical care. And I really have been involved in the care and management of people that have diabetes for a long time, and frankly, probably longer than many of your listeners. Uh, I've been doing this uh, since the early 1980s, which is a, is a long time. So aside from my academic and educational responsibilities, I've kind of morphed into this hospitalist position. You know, uh, much of my, my clinical experience has been both in AM care as well as acute care in the hospital setting, but I kind of gravitated to, um, to more of a hospital-based practice, acute care, and I'm really a member of a ward team for the uh, family medicine uh, service at a large uh, tertiary care teaching hospital, which is Ruby Memorial Hospital, which is affiliated with West Virginia University and the uh, Robert C. Byrd Health Sciences Center. So I have pretty much an inpatient practice, but I also have an outpatient um, practice in a twice-weekly uh, discharge clinic. So I, I guess I wear lots of different hats. That certainly sounds uh, to be the case there, Charlie. And um, actually, really interesting. I want to ask you first, because you'd mentioned a, a term or uh, a descriptor that not everyone may know. And I just I want to address this before we go further. You'd mentioned yep. being a role that's kind of a, you know, in a hospitalist. Right. What does that mean? What does that signify? Well, when I refer to the word hospitalist, it means that the the primary emphasis of my practice or the focus is with acute care in hospital patients. So I see patients in the hospital setting. You know, normally if you're a family medicine patient and you get sick and you are sick enough to be admitted, then I'm the person you see. In fact, I'm the person that you don't want to see because that that typically infers that that uh, you're sick, or at least you're you're sick enough to be in the hospital. So I think a hospitalist tends to be someone with a primary practice with an inpatient acute care kind of setting, as opposed to a traditional outpatient or let's say community-based practice. Excellent. Well, thanks for adding that uh, description for us. It's helpful just for our audience to understand where you're coming from, your sure. area of expertise, and how that ties sure. into patient care. Now, uh, Charlie, before we get into today's questions, we're going to stop for a moment so our audience can hear the breakdown. Now it's time for the breakdown. As Quality Corner show host, Nick will ask three main topic questions. Our guests will have a chance to respond and there will be some discussion to summarize the key points. This process will repeat for the second and third questions, which will wrap up the primary content for this recording. After that, expect to end on a closing summary, usually containing a bonus question. Now that we have described the process, let's jump into the questions. Pharmacist Letter is offering continuing education credit for this podcast. Please log into your Pharmacist Letter account and look for the title of this episode in the list of available CE courses. I'm Nick Dorich, and our guest today is Charles Ponty from West Virginia University. Neither of us have anything to disclose for the purposes of this CE. All right, Charlie, we're back and we're ready to go into the questions for today. And to get us started, I want to cover diabetes. More specifically, I want to cover the pathophysiology of diabetes or as the clinically relevant term, diabetes mellitus. But more specifically, we want to cover what is diabetes, but how does that also lead to pain and discomfort for patients? We often think that it's really, again, about that management for glucose or blood glucose, but we we as clinical practitioners know that it can develop to something more than that. 
And that's something we want to start with. So I'll hand it off to you uh, at this point, Charlie, but diabetes and how it leads to pain, discomfort for patients. What can you tell us? Well, I, I think most of most of our listeners, most community practitioners are probably going to deal mostly with people that have type 2 diabetes. And, you know, type 2 diabetes is the most common form of, of diabetes. It's, it's a condition that really has a number of defects associated with it. And when I was a student and when I was taught, you know, it's funny, diabetes, there were basically three defects, okay? There was a defect in beta cell function in the pancreas, which is, you know, uh, involved in the manufacture and secretion of insulin. Uh, but not only that, but also tissue resistance, you know, the tissues, muscle and fat are resistant to the action of insulin. And then thirdly, the uh, liver made too much excess glucose. So those were the three sort of primary uh, defects. Now we have well over 11 different defects. And I think most of our listeners are obviously probably quite well versed in in diabetes and its metabolic consequences. But of course, one of those consequences of the metabolic derangement that you see, not just in glucose metabolism or glucose handling, but just in the, the overall metabolic defect associated with diabetes um, is uh, the development of, of, of pain in, in these patients. And so when I think when you talk about pain associated with persons who have diabetes, you're really talking about, for the most part, neuropathic pain, neuropathic, you know, neuroempathic, you know, there's some kind of disease or some kind of dysfunction with nervous tissue or with nerves, and that's kind of the root of neuropathy. So this neuropathic pain uh, basically infers that you have damaged nerves, okay, in, in the body. And that's very commonly seen with people who have diabetes, and I'll get to some of the statistics in, in just a second. But let me give you some common examples of, of uh, neuropathic pain in, in general. People that have had shingles, okay, uh, can develop what's called post-herpetic neuralgia, a very chronic kind of pain debilitating, you know, kind of, kind of problem, which can follow a bout of shingles. But also, your viewers and your listeners may have some experience with individuals who have what's called phantom limb pain. They've had an amputation, but for all intents and purposes, they still have pain as though they still had a limb attached to the to that particular uh, body part. And even, even carpal tunnel syndrome, uh, especially with today, everybody on their cell phones and on their computers and their tablets, that, that those are all kind of examples of neuropathic um, pain. Now, specifically, if we discuss patients who have or people who have diabetes, generally what happens with neuropathic pain is that it arrives from peripheral nerve damage, and it's called a peripheral neuropathy. Okay, And as I alluded to a, a second ago, diabetes causes about 30%, which is you know one out of three people who have neuropathic pain, the cause is diabetes. So uncontrolled or poorly controlled diabetes can result in peripheral nerve damage and can actually affect upwards of half the people who have diabetes. So, it, so neuropathic pain is very common in, in folks who have diabetes. And frankly, you know, you, you may ask or the, the audience may say, well, you know, what, what causes this? You know, I wish there was a simple kind of all-encompassing, 
unifying kind of cause or perhaps theory. But really, it comes down to a number of issues. One of the issues that's been identified is the uh, as dysfunction with the mitochondria. You know, think of uh, the cell having to have an energy source for its function. It's kind of like putting a little battery in the cell. Well, the mitochondria are responsible for the the energy uh, generation in the cell. So there's myocardial dysfunction in nerve cells. Okay, there is thought to be oxidative stress in those cells as well. And don't forget, you know, people that have type 2 diabetes and have to have neuropathy, they invariably have small blood vessel disease that affects nutrient delivery to that cell, blood flow to the cell. So ischemia or reduced oxygenated blood to the tissue could also be responsible for this neuropathy that you see in people who have diabetes. And even there's been some some suggestion that the repair mechanisms of the cell are deranged, okay, in in folks who who have diabetes. And all of this kind of put it into a, you know, for the lack of a better analogy, put it into a mortar and pestle, kind of mix it and titrate it. And, and what you get is dysfunction in nerve signaling pathways and, and in many cases leads to pain. So I think it's fair to say it's a complex process or the pathophysiology of neuropathic pain is not not simply related just to, to altered glucose metabolism or high blood glucose concentrations, it's multifactorial, okay? And, you know, I teach this too with anybody who's willing to listen that, you know, diabetes literally affects the person, okay, from head to toe, okay? There is no organ system that is spared, okay, uh, the ravages of diabetes from depression, okay, and stroke to a diabetic foot infection or altered sensation or pain perhaps in the feet and everything in between. So so I, I hope that gives the listener a sense okay, of of what happens to these these patients who develop pain associated with their diabetes. Yeah, Charlie, it's an excellent description and uh, I do have one quick follow-up question yep. here for you yes. before we go into the to the next topic. Okay. And you had mentioned that this is going to be this pain, that this discomfort is something that you know virtually every patient with diabetes is going to be experiencing at some point. You know, when when it comes to a new diagnosis for a patient, what is that you know expectation? With a new diagnosis, there's always a lot to understand, and that can be very shocking to someone, anyways. What's kind of the approach to helping patients understand with that diagnosis? You know, how that pain can be manifesting. Well, I, um, I, I think, first of all, I just want to say all patients who develop diabetes, you know, either type 1 or type 2, are not going to develop neuropathic pain. It's about half, okay? So it's kind of hard to, and, and the problem is you don't know which half, okay, are going to develop the neuropathy. I think what you tell patients and leave up front with a new diagnosis is that you can avoid 
okay, hopefully avoid the complications if you pay attention, okay, to blood sugar control plus all kind of the other facets of control that are equally important, okay? Meaning you have to pay attention to lifestyle modification. You have to pay attention to some of the uh, dietary manipulations, okay? Especially for people that have type 2, which most of pharmacists, physicians, other providers are going to see compared to the person who has type 1 diabetes. So I think what you try to do up front is prevent this from taking place as opposed to trying to deal with it after it happens. Now, that being said, okay, prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that, that's a, it sounds like a, you know, a cliche because it is. It's just that even though some patients have good glycemic control, it's possible okay, to still manifest complications, just like it's possible to have a patient totally out of control and have limited complications. I wish I could have a magic uh, crystal ball or a wand okay, to say, well, you're the kind of person who's going to develop. You're the kind of person who won't. Okay, I think I think the key is to try to instill in the patient up front the necessity to get on top of it as soon as one could, using all of the tools that are available to treat people that have diabetes. And that's the educational piece, and that's the therapeutic piece, okay? And that's the lifestyle piece and the nutrition piece. And it all has to work in kind of concert in unison. And you have to have, hopefully, okay, the person with the disease has to have a support structure in place, okay, that can facilitate all of this. And, and frankly, one of, the, one of the champions of these folks, it should be and is the pharmacist. So I hope that kind of gives you some insight into maybe how to approach a new diagnosis. Yeah, that's absolutely a key point there. And it, it, it's a fine balance, right? Because you want the patient to be informed, but at the same time, uh, there's a downside to giving and informing the patient of that worst case scenario. Because some people may not understand that this is what it could be as worst case, but that's not always going to be the case. But uh, Charlie, right. I do want to move right. to our second question. And it yes. actually goes into how you as a provider, but mm -hmm. also with the patient, understand this. And I want to talk about that neuropathic pain management. So, you know, right. you have you as a provider, you're working with a patient um, and they've had some complaints or they have some changes in their medical status or just kind of how they're feeling. When it comes to this neuropathic pain management, how does a provider, how is that identified? How is mm -hmm. that diagnosed? And mm -hmm. then from there, how do you manage it? I think generally what happens is the person complains of symptoms. Okay, uh, and that could be the person who says, my feet burn. It's like taking a hot poker, okay, and searing the, the, the skin. They may have cramps. They may have short pain, perhaps. They may have what's called, and I'll, I'll define those for the audience. It's called allodynia, which means it's kind of an exaggerated response, okay, to what should be a not painful stimulus. Okay. Example, if I take a feather and I brush your cheek with it, okay, 
Well, obviously, it's going to feel like a, a feather. But a person who has allodynia, it may, uh, it may feel like sandpaper. It may feel like razor blades, okay? So it's an exaggerated response, okay? And that, that's how a, you know, in other words, the person says, I can't even keep a sheet on my top of my foot because of the discomfort and the pain associated with it. But they may have throbbing, they may have tingling, you know, a, the variety of sensations. So, and, and it's very common that the patient complaints occur in the feet, okay? And generally, the pain tends to get uh, better at rest, okay? But it, it could even be worse when they're lying flat in, in bed at night. And, and sometimes if the person gets up or the person who is experiencing this type of pain, if they start to walk, it may actually improve. So, so there is a number of kind of screening tests that uh, someone could use. Now, there are sophisticated, you know, EMG, you know, types of studies and other approaches. But, you know, a community pharmacist is an example, uh, someone who is involved in medication therapy management or diabetes uh, management with uh, maybe a physician or, or other uh, kind of provider. There are simple tests. You, you could do uh, a tuning fork uh, to assess uh, vibration sense, pinprick, okay? You could do the what's called the Symes or Seams Weinstein monofilament test, which is a 10-gram it's like a piece of fishing line on a little kind of a little handle, okay? And then you place it and you push, okay, this monofilament until it bends, which is a, you know, which implies 10 grams of pressure at various points on the top of the foot, bottom of the foot. And if they have lack of sensation in different points or perhaps total lack of sensation, that, you know, that certainly puts them at risk that they, yes, they are having a sensory neuropathy. They could develop pain. They could develop ulcers. Uh, they could develop infections, you know. So, so I think there are some uh, sort of common and easy to do tests. Um, so once that that diagnosis is made, and then I think you you start thinking about non-drug and drug treatments that could potentially, you know, affect the progression of that neuropathy, and or perhaps you know, in in some cases may actually improve based on the modality that's chosen. So so I think those are some approaches, you know, uh, to trying to sort out if a person has that kind of a, of a problem. But you know, generally, it's a patient complaint. It, it's going to be some kind of discomfort, pain, which then, you know, one's going to have to pursue either simply or more sophisticated, in a more sophisticated uh, approach. So, Charlie, this does sound like there's certainly opportunities, and you had mentioned with it, there are ways that pharmacists can help patients understand this. And some of these tests, you know, the pharmacist, the, the patient may not come up to the, the pharmacy in the middle of an aisle. Um, it may, these may be tests that are done in a counseling room. So they're, 
maybe kind of other locations are better places to have, but I do think it speaks to the importance of the pharmacist continuously having the conversation with the patients on how are they managing their diabetes? Are they noticing yes. any changes with their body? And that can often prompt it. Well, have you been to yes. your specialist? Have you been to, have you spoken recently with your endocrinologist or perhaps some providers that are uh, more uh, adept with, with those parts, but the pharmacist is still incredibly important with this situation. And, you know, with that, the treatment part of it, how that does get managed is going to be incredibly important. So I'll, I'll move us to our third question. And, and it's going to be just about that with, identification with management where we're then talking about how the patient is going to be managing their pain, their discomfort. What treatment options are there? Pharmacologically, what options exist? What options are most common? And then, of course, we, we, we are pharmacists. We talk about medications, but there's always lifestyle changes that could potentially have an impact as well. In case like diabetes, it's related to reducing that A1C. But um, what would you what what are the recommendations? Are there guidelines on how this should be managed? Yeah, I, I think there are, well, there are, are a, a variety, as I alluded to, of non-drug and therapeutic or, or drug treatment options. Um, I, I think the first thing, though, before you kind of go down the path, okay, of drug treatment is to try to improve glycemic control, as, as you mentioned, try to have the person adhere to lifestyle diet, uh, physical activity, uh, try to avoid or limit alcohol, any, anything that could contribute to a neuropathy. And that, frankly, includes stopping smoking. Now, the problem with that, okay, is the, since we're in this kind of uh, era of evidence, okay, uh, based practice, it, the, the, the evidence that supports these non-drug modalities is fairly weak, okay, and not not terribly robust. Now, that being said, if I may digress for one second, I had a patient some years ago who had significant peripheral neuropathy. He could not take a washcloth and wash his feet on the top because they hurt so much. And it was early in the use of insulin pumps. So we had we put the person on an insulin pump and we got better glycemic control after, oh, I guess two or three months of improved control for the first time in a long time. Okay, he could literally take a washcloth, wash the top of his foot, and he had less discomfort. So I'm not going to say never, never say never. Okay, but I think in 2021, most of the management is drug treatment, frankly, as opposed to non-drug. And, and and frankly, the evidence behind some other approaches like acupuncture and massage therapy and biofeedback, yeah, it may, it may have some benefit in some patients. Uh, but again, I think the evidence is somewhat uh, not, again, robust. So what are we left with? We're left with generally using anti-epileptic uh, drugs and antidepressants. Those tend to be the two major classes of medications used to, to treat diabetic neuropathy and the pain uh, associated with that. The two drugs that are FDA approved are pregabalin or Lyrica and duloxetine or Cymbalta. Okay, now we also use, uh, pre we also use Neurontin or Gabapentin. If you look at uh, the efficacy of pregabalin, it's maybe 30 to 50% will have some benefit, not 
percent. And I, I think anybody who's a pharmacist knows that no drug treatment is 100 percent. But, you know, 50 percent could be significant from a uh, lifestyle uh, sense. Now, we can use venlafaxine also as an option. And even uh, valproic acid has been has been used. You, some patients you may see even on older tricyclics uh, and even a drug like carbamazepine or tegretol, you know, uh, has been <clears throat> used to treat patients who have who have diabetic peripheral neuropathy. I think one has to use caution with these drugs, uh, especially in older um, patients. You have to be mindful of drug interactions monitor for adverse drug effects. And again, I think, you know, one has to titrate appropriately and monitor uh, appropriately. The thing that you got to remember is patients who have even diabetic peripheral neuropathy, that's a chronic pain state. As such, okay, there are a lot of psychological uh, baggage that comes with it, including depression. And if you are depressed and you have diabetic peripheral neuropathy and you have that kind of chronic pain state, the depression itself can exacerbate the pain. So it begs that you need to treat the depression um, as well. Uh, and in some cases, the newer, you know, the second generation antidepressants, you know, can be very um, useful. Uh, and one last pearl, okay? Don't discount the effects of anti-diabetic medication and how it could affect neuropathy. Classic example, about one out of five patients after about five years on metformin could develop a B12 deficiency, okay? And that, you know, in and of itself, you know, may have, you know, some effects, not so much on uh, perhaps neuropathy, but, you know, one sometimes thinks that, you know, there are no other metabolic consequences, you know, other than glycemic control associated with, you know, anti-diabetic medications. But that, that frankly, is just not true. So always be be uh, on the lookout for how their current drug treatment and even other drugs could perhaps influence the neuropathy and the pain uh, associated with it. Excellent. Now, Charlie, I do have one uh, question for you as well as a follow-up here. You'd mentioned for some of the medications that can be used for that neuropathic pain management, such as the anti-epileptics. Um, for those where there may be, and those were those had FDA indications for this type of pain management, correct? Now, um, right. with those and, and for that specific pain management, is dosing, frequency of dosing, is that going to be different than, say, other clinical indications? Is, you know, a pharmacist getting a prescription, are they going to necessarily notice that there's a, that it's for that pain management versus other uses um, just based on how the medication is dosed? Unless, well, frankly, unless it's noted on the prescription or, you know, the, the pharmacist knows the patient and their, their history, uh, if, they're, if they're titrating the dose, then no, then all bets are off. They may not know that it's uh, specifically being used to treat, you know, uh, neuropathy. So I, I, I think it sort of begs... Um, knowledge. Uh, and if there's a question, then they should contact, you know, the, the provider, you know, because I mean, in general, 
especially with the older medications, dosing is akin to uh, treating epilepsy as an example. You know, we used to use, you know, uh, Tegretol or carbamazepine. It was dosed no different. Okay, the tricyclics now, as an example, might be, you know, you may see you may see a patient on occasion with it. Not not the drug of choice, not not advocated, but the doses tend to be a lot less in which you would see to treat a person, let's say, who had uh, who had depression. OK, so so I, I, I think one has to, you know, just if there's ever a question, I guess the only the best way to say this is, you know, contact the provider and, you know, try to find out what's going on with that um, as far as the doses themselves go, if that if that helps, you know, answer the question. Yeah, it does. And it's contact the provider, right? Or, you know, ask that question, but also ask the patient, right? If you're the pharmacist that's going to be managing that patient's medication, some cases, you know, and and for an anti-epileptic, as you made a mention to that, that is that can be an important conversation for that pharmacist to have with the patient on what that patient is expecting, or specifically what they're expecting with the use of the medication, right? Um, right. It's stopping right. Right. Uh, seizures specifically versus the pain management. That's going to be two different expectations for a patient. So helping the patient understand and confirming what the patient's expecting is also helpful for your pharmacy staff so that when they are following up with the patient, it's clear expectations for managing that disease and hopefully ultimately alleviating um, those, those concerns and that uh, underlying issue that the patient has. So great response, Charlie. Really appreciate that. And uh, uh, actually, Charlie, with that, we're we're wrapped up for uh, today's conversation on diabetes, neuropathic pain management, and as expected, um, your expertise and description uh, for that combination, diabetes and pain, pain management, came in very handy. This was certainly a good reminder for me, a good crash course again on this topic. So it's always a, a good part for me to, to learn about these topics. And uh, your approach here to it was very insightful, um, very helpful, and uh, gave us a lot of tidbits to take away for both myself, but ultimately for our listeners. So I really do thank you for that. Now, uh, for our listeners that that are routinely checking with the PQS Quality Corner Show, uh, you know that we don't let our guests go without asking them a final question. And it's not always related to our topic of the day, but it might be. And Charlie, I'll, I'll leave that up to you. But our yeah, question right, is, right. what have you been working on in this last year, this last year and a half, two years? What have you been working on to further develop or improve your skill set? So it might be related to how you work with patients and pain management. It might be something completely different. But what, what's been your new development? Well, um, I, I have two. That's a that's a two uh, pronged kind of response. Okay, one, I've learned how to navigate COVID, and I've learned how to stay alive. Okay, in the last year. Okay, that's one. But but uh, but to be more um, in in tune with the, the the podcast, you know, I learn something every day. Okay, when it comes to trying to improve my my skills set. And I do that by continuing to practice pharmacy in the acute care setting. And because I have the fortune of being a teacher and being uh, around students and um, medical residents, pharmacy students, medical students, they, they teach me something every every day. OK, so so I have this ongoing, continuous uh, faculty development. A program by virtue of what I I, I do um, every day. 
So, and, and I'll leave you with two, two uh, quotes, and, and I don't know where they came from, and I don't, you know, I don't, won't take credit, but, you know, remember, you know, you learn by doing, right? That's how you learn. You have to do it. It's nice to hear it, but until you do it, it, it doesn't make sense or it doesn't stick. Plus, teaching helps you understand, okay? If you can teach something, that means you know it and you understand it, Okay, so I think all of us can learn something just uh, just by being aware. Okay, and look and listen. Excellent. Well, Charlie, thank you for those final couple of uh, reminders. For for us, certainly elements that all of us can take into our our daily life and our daily practices. Uh, now, I did have one actual final question for you, Charlie, and that is before we wrap up. Uh, Folks may be interested in learning more from you, or they may be interested in following up with you about our topic of the day as related to uh, diabetes and the, the pain management. So final question, if someone wants to get a, uh, wants to follow up you, follow up with you, ask another question, what's the best way to contact you? I think the best way is email C, D as in Dennis, Ponte at HSC dot WVU dot EDU. That's the easy way to get me just email excellent well no problem with that we'll make sure to include it and uh, charlie again thank you for appearing on the show today a lot of great information and uh, for those students whether it be in the pharmacy or the medical uh, practice uh if uh, if there if your classes are anything like your appearance on the podcast today they're gonna be full of information and entertaining so they are some lucky individuals there uh, but appreciate having you on the show and for our listeners today that is all for this episode, but we always have some final messages for our listening audience, so make sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a question or topic, please let us know. Similarly, you can, uh, if you would like to suggest a topic for the show or come on the PQS Quality Corner Show, we would love to hear that. You can DM us on Twitter at Pharmacy Quality or by emailing info at pharmacyquality.com. Now, with that, I again appreciate you listening to the Quality Corner Show, and there's one final message from the PQS team. The Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show has a request for you. Our goal is to spread the word about how quality measurement can help improve health outcomes, and we need your help in sharing this podcast to friends and colleagues in the healthcare industry. We also want you to provide feedback, ask us questions, and suggest health topics you'd like to see covered. If you are a health expert and you want to contribute to the show or even talk on the show, please contact us. You can email info at pharmacyquality.com. Let us know what is on your mind, what we can address so that you are fully informed. We want you to be able to provide the best care for your patients and members, and we wish all of you listeners out there well.